0: Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have drummer extraordinaire, Alex Van Halen. At the time of this interview in 1981, Van Halen was 28 years old and was out on tour supporting Van Halen's fourth record, Fair Warning. In this rare interview, Alex talks about working with producer Ted Templeman, how van halen promoted shows before they got signed why he hated high school and his prediction for van halen's future as always we have music critic mark allen at the helm conducting the interview If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I scared him to shoot me. I didn't go down
1: there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God, I'll have vengeance. In
0: 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line, the true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault.
2: So you're telling me about the sound system out there and, and the tonal qualities. When you mix your albums, do you go with a, a small speaker and make it, you know, do you no, blow it up? Or? When we go in the
1: studio, we take all our stage gear, set it up in a big room, and play live. Uh, of course, there are separation baffles, and just in case something goes wrong when you have to fix up a guitar or overdub something. And Dave is in a separate booth, but we all do play and sing at the same time, which, unlike most bands who we'll go in, lay down rhythm track and uh, build on top of that over and over and so forth and you know, it's such a fat sound attempt a fat sound by massive overdubbing which we don't do if you listen to the records you'll notice there are very if any very few of any overdubs mm-hmm. uh, occasional uh, rhythm guitar at most and uh, Ted Templeman takes care of the technical aspect of it you know he, just, he puts down a the vinyl there was somebody who was talking about
2: well there's an arc on Rolling Stone about Mike Chapman and Mike Chapman said that he wouldn't want Ted Templeman to produce any of the groups he produced because he thinks Ted Templeman all make them sound the
1: same. How about working with I think Templeman? I think it's the exact opposite. I, I, I tend to say that about Mike Chapman. <laughs> uh, Ted has produced such a diverse uh, diversity of acts, anywhere from the Doobie Brothers to Ronnie Montrose, Van Halen. He does uh, Nicolette Larson, Little Feet. Are you trying to tell me those bands sound alike? No, not at all. Come on, just... Chapman, wake up. Wake up. <laughs> uh I I didn't read the article, so I I don't know it. he said word for word. But uh, we've been approached by a variety of of producers, especially in the beginning, when we were being signed. And uh, we chose Ted because when we sat down with him, he was open. It wasn't like uh, a lot of producers put their stamp, so to speak. I mean, it's their sound on the record. A lot of times you can hear a band, you don't even know who the band is, but yet you can tell or pretty well guess who produced it. And like I said, we have an approached by certain producers and at one point, one of the gentlemen said, listen, this is my record, you're gonna do it my way or we won't do it at all. So he said, "All oh, right, we won't do it, goodbye. Enter Ted Templeman. <laughs>
2: I wanted to ask you about the Pueblo, Colorado thing that was written about in Longstown. Also, something about wrecking um, uh, a lot Yeah, of well, things. first
1: of all, it's blown usually out of proportion. I mean, uh, there was a little bit of food spilled on the floor, but as far as being smeared with lasagna and all this garbage, that's what it was, garbage. It's not true at all. I think what happened was... Uh, The college board or the school board just didn't want that brand new building uh, being subjected to massive rock and roll audiences. And he figured, well, we'll just grab any band. I think we're just a scapegoat. And obviously we didn't leave the dressing room spotless, but there was no damage. There were no urinals ripped off the wall and whatever else they said that we behaved like animals. Because, you know, after all, this this is our living, it's our job, and we know we have to come back and play there again. So we'll only be cutting our own throats it's not true at all. What about brown M&M's in your
2: contract? Is that true? <laughs> all
1: right. Everybody has to have a little sense of humor. And yes, it's true. No, if there's brown M&M's in our, uh, in our bucket, we won't play. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of these days, one of these days, somebody's going to get that little, get a little uh, piece of paper wrapped around a brown M&M thrown through his window in the middle of the night, and they'll know who it's from. <laughs> But we don't take that too seriously. No, but that is in your contract. Yes, it, is, it is. For any. And legally, uh, uh, we don't like brown m ms
2: <laughs> Let's talk about the aesthetics of M&Ms. Right? <laughs> brown m taste different from other m
1: Yes, they do. They do. <laughs> they do. They are heavily, more heavily sugar coated. They contain more chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh the green ones and the yellow ones are much more refreshing. <laughs> what do you think? Eddie? <laughs> what about the red ones? Do you miss the red ones? I always use? Yeah, I don't I don't particularly go for the red ones that, that much. Um, like I said, my main objection is brown and that's that's all there's to it. Is this a running thing throughout the band or is it just your Well yes, it was actually uh, David's uh, first objection was brown mm-hmm. uh, Michael doesn't like MMs at all. Ed only likes jujubes, and you uh, <laughs> <laughs> believe that, i got a bridge you might be in the gym behind. Yeah?
2: <laughs> The band seems to relate extremely well to the audience, I and mean, I guess the your average, the average age of your audience, maybe, correct me if you think I'm wrong, 15, 16,
1: around there. No, it, it varies anywhere from, my, I'd say, 15 to 21 or so. Mm-hmm. And we get older uh, audiences as well. But the reason we relate so well is because we are the audience. What we're doing on stage is what we always wanted to see being done on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason it goes over so well, I mean we've traveled the world, we've gone to Japan, we've gone to all of Europe, England, places where they do speak English, uh, places where you speak English, and even though they don't understand the lyrics and, ex- and don't understand exactly what Dave is saying between songs, they get the feeling, they relate, and I think it's because there's a little bit of Van Halen in everybody. And we're just there to bring it out. And tonight, we witness it, we'll bring it all out. <laughs> There's a Van Halen show, one of the last places where you can actually just yell and scream and thrash your arms about and, and do uh, almost anything you want, uh, short of hurting somebody or killing somebody, and get away with it. What about violence in the audience? Do you see that? Uh, we've seen very little of it. Uh, of course, you get a few, I mean, a few guys that are always gonna yeah. uh, ruin it. You know, the but, but was mentioning something about an M80
2: blowing off in some in one of the fire marshal's ears last night, something
1: yeah. of that nature. You know, you get that anywhere. Take a look at a football game. There are people always knocking rock concerts for being violent and such. Have you ever seen a European football game or an American one for that matter? Uh, the fans are they're, they're fanatical. Uh, even if, they're too, if their team loses, uh, they get pissed and they beat up on the other side. You know, look, look at the high school games. Look at the violence that goes on there. And that's they're still stone cold sober. <laughs>
2: How did a band like
1: Van Halen come out of Los Angeles, which is such a, I mean, it's one of the... We've been asked that a lot. First of all, we're not from L.A. That's where we got together. Um, I'm from Amsterdam, so is Edward. We grew up basically in Holland, moved here about 10 years ago. And Dave's from the Midwest. Uh, he's from Bloomington, Indiana. Mike is from Chicago. And uh, we'd all have playing around the L.A. area. Now, LA is not all the laid back that people think it is. Well, it depends on where you live, you know? A lot of people, when you say LA, think of Hollywood. Other people think of the beach. Uh, but there are places in the middle of nowhere where there are just people who, beer drinkers and hell raisers, so to speak. You know, it could be anywhere in the middle of Texas, for all you know. And then again, there's, uh, there are the beaches and there are the mountains, and there is the Hollywood, but there is a variety of stuff in between. That's why we don't sign like up the Eagles, because we aren't from LA. <laughs>
2: There's a quote in here
1: that, that David I'd like to pick up on and see what you
2: think. He says, um, according to, about heavy metal, he's saying what we're getting these days is clones of clones. I like the original Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Who, but uh, they've gone, undergone so many changes. It's become bastardized in so many ways. And uh, he's talking about about clones of music. Now, How, considering that these bands were probably the beginning of heavy metal, I, How is
1: Van Halen different? Van Halen's obviously not a club. Well, first of all, heavy metal, back when it first started, meant 20-minute guitar solos, half-hour drum solos, songs that went on in epic proportions. Van Halen does it in three minutes. I mean, why take a half an hour when you do in three? And vice versa could also be true, but I think people don't have that long of an attention span. They get bored very easily. I know for a fact that when I see in some of the bigger bands and the drum solo happens on am drum, if it goes on to four, you know, five, ten minutes, if it, when it reaches in 20 minutes, I'll be out there. I'm even one of the first to get out and get a hot dog. And then I'll come back and probably really miss a thing. So there's a, a minimum of solos in the band? Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, there are solos, but not to the extent not playing a solo for the sake of having a solo there. It used to become almost standardized. I mean, when it was near the end of the set, you knew the drummer was gonna do a solo. Uh, in the middle of the set, when the guitarist walked out by himself, you knew he was gonna stand there for 15 minutes and go into, um, God knows what, He says, <laughs> I think our songs have memorable um, melodies as well. I hear lots of people just coming along with the song, singing along, even when the music isn't playing. I don't know what the as they take.
2: And I've been walking around singing, Everybody Wants Some
1: all another yeah. words. Everybody Wants Some. Well, that's another thing, <laughs> our lyrics are not into uh, space or into uh, something you don't understand. The third planet from the moon or the star, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic. When you say, I can't wait to feel your love tonight, uh, you don't need to use your imagination very much, I don't think. Who's mm-hmm. the best heavy metal band you ever saw? That I ever saw? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen them all, and I think each band that I've seen has something special to offer. As a matter of fact, I've even seen some punk acts that I I think were New Wave, whatever you want to call them, like uh, The Damned, they played 15 minutes, and in 15 minutes, they played about 15, no wait, about 25 songs, I think it was. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Those guys are just so hyper. They were on stage, and they were off, and I was going, whoa. The music wasn't really uh, there, but I mean, the show was. And I think every band has something to offer. Uh, you go see Yes, it's more like sitting down, the evening with Yes, and they duplicate the record. I mean, they duplicate the record, which sometimes makes me wonder why pay $9 or $10 for a ticket, you know, and have to sit there, barely be able to see lousy acoustics when you could much rather sit at home with a nice stereo. If you only hear the, the record duplicated, listen to your stereo. I, I enjoyed uh, Sabbath very much. Uh, I like grand funk. And I gotta say, it was one of the—it was a pleasure to play with, uh, with Sabbath, you know, for the tenth anniversary. We toured with them uh, all of the uh, UK and most of the states, and that, was, that was a pleasure. But uh, other than that, I really can't remember that many uh, heavy metal acts. You know, of course, everybody goes see Zeppelin once a year. It must be a ritual or something. But, <laughs> but since we've been touring so much, I haven't had the time. Do you think that Van Halen's the best
2: heavy metal act now?
1: I wouldn't call it heavy metal. Again, like. Uh, we like to call it big rock, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Well, it's got to look like it sounds, and sounds like it looks. Um, like we were talking when you looked at the uh, PA setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not actually overkill. Other bands use that system
0: to fill a 40,000-seater. We do it to fill a 10 to 15,000-seater because
1: we feel you shouldn't, you don't have to crank that thing to the point where it distorts and it hurts your ears to get the same level of decibels, you know, as you can with this system. We can sit there and drive it, say, halfway, and it won't distort, but yet it'll be super, I mean, it's hard to explain. It's like sense around. Just uh-huh. feel it, you know.
2: Probably the acoustics in here help a little bit. I time.
1: heard, I heard, yeah, I heard <laughs> the acoustics are something else in here. But I, our music doesn't need acoustics.
2: <laughs> I think the last time you played in Boston, you
1: played the orphanes. Yeah, You're right. Mm-hmm.
2: Gone a long way in, in a comparatively short amount of time. How have things changed internally in the band since, since
1: then. All well, our sex lives are better now. <laughs> uh, internally, not at all. We're the same uh, as we've always been. We've always wanted to do this. We used to play for free. As a matter of fact, when we started out, before we had a manager, before we had a record contract, we never had an agent. All we would do was take some flyers, some leaflets, put our picture on there. Uh, We'd rent the hall, put the date on it, and just plaster the entire LA area. And before we knew it, we could draw about 5,000 people to, the, to these shows. You know, it was all of them ourselves. We would set up the stage. We would rent the PA with the money that we, we knew we were going to make. And uh, it was just recycled. The shows got bigger and bigger, more equipment, more people. And it just went on and on and on and on. And then when we signed the record, we did it all over the world. Do you find yourself getting caught up in, the, in a sort of bureaucracy now that it's bigger? No, because we run everything ourselves. Uh, we. Work very closely with the record company. We work very closely with our management. And uh, luckily enough, we've had a say in almost everything that we do. Anywhere from uh, the material that's on the album, to the album cover, to where we tour, when we tour, uh, <clears throat> the clothes we wear. You know, a lot of people, the manager telling me what time to go to bed. I'm oh, to wake up, eat now. the <laughs> things like that. We're uh, pretty much left out to our own.
2: Would you ever like to 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 be the manager? You know, no, to no. control your audiences a little more, to be able to say to them, uh, like
1: I said, know, we, maybe we think you should cool out a little or something. I don't I, know. I think we are the audience. That's the whole thing. The, the people relate to that. It's just uh, people can tell if you're phony. You're trying to act something that you're not. If you have to put on your suit to go out to play. Uh, i tell you one, Dave's the same when I've seen his knees on. He's always in mouth. I mean, he's always singing and wearing funny clothes. <laughs> uh, you know, it shows. And as far as controlling the eyes, again, uh, why control them? They're there to have a good time. It's an escape. It's, you want to be controlled, go to school. Your teacher will tell you what to do.
2: <laughs> Can I ask you how far you went in school?
1: Oh, no. Yeah, how far did I go in school? To school? <laughs> I used to walk in and then walk right back out. No, of course I graduated. I mean, that's a, it's some kind of state law says so you have to graduate from high school, more or less. And uh, they were more or less happy to get rid of me, so I said, a bit of due. <laughs> would you say that
2: people in high school remember you as uh, they would figure that what you're doing now is, is
1: pretty typical of what you're doing? Either that, either or, that do. or in jail. I don't know. <laughs> i got to be quite honest with you. I never went to school that much. I figured I knew more than the teachers did. and The, the, uh, the quality of education was not up to my standards or up to par. I mean, if I figured I'd have to sit and listen to somebody for 45 minutes trying to explain something which I already knew five years ago, then something's got to be wrong. Where so I would just come in. In Holland, it was different. Of course, I was younger also. Yeah. So that made a difference. Where did you leave About 10, 15 years ago. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, you know, everything just kind of runs together. It doesn't change, it doesn't get bigger or smaller, Just longer. <laughs> does it have any influence
2: on you now?
1: Yeah, I think it does. Um, I think everybody, everything has an influence on you one way or another. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't asked us yet about how we write the songs or anything. But what I was going to say is that, so uh, we used to, we used you to, used you to play words and Well, no, no, no <laughs> uh, Where's your influences and, and such yeah. Ed and I Studied classical piano In Holland. And That's then we started Playing rock and roll We were The older uh, Dave is always singing out the radio and Mike, uh, I don't know, I think he just eats his bass strings for fun. But When we played the clubs, which we did for quite a while, we had a repertoire of about 300 different songs, maybe more. And it was by such a variety of artists, it was almost unbelievable. And all we had was one guitar, one bass, one vocal and one drum. So we had to twist the music, you know, we had to Van Halenize it to make it fit to our instrumentation. Which teaches you a lot about arranging and such. And, uh, you know, all of those songs were recognizable. Everything did sound like Van Halen. I mean, it was still danceable, so we could still play at the club because if the people weren't dancing, the club owner would reach out, right? So two, it served as two purposes at the same time. And it carried out over into writing our own music. There's a little bit of everything in there. Uh, my personal tastes vary a little bit with Dave's, uh, which again, vary a little bit with Ed's, but when we all get together, we all throw, it's like, you know, a big soup. And it shows in the music. Uh, listen to some of Ed's uh, guitar songs, like Eruption or Spanish Fly. There is a little bit of classical uh, influence in there.
2: What song would I be most surprised that you did a cover of? <laughs> You're no good. <laughs> you mean next album? Yeah, well, no, no, no. I, when you were playing clubs and you said you had 300 songs. Oh,
1: I'd, I'd say, Ohio, okay, you. we did some stuff uh, by uh, Ohio Players, Get Down Tonight. Really? Yeah, we used to do some old James Brown. Uh, it's your thing. Okay. But then again, at the, at the other end, we did some Deep Purple. We did Black Sabbath. We did, uh, you know, "Deal with the Preacher" by um, Bad Company. You name know, we played it. We played anything and everything. And it seemed that the wider the scope of style of music, we played is except for jazz. <laughs> People just didn't know how to dance to it. We, we didn't really care for it that much. I mean, solos are one thing, but, We didn't want to introduce a sax section. (laughs) (laughs) Or the
2: orchestra that he talks about here—a big twenty-four-piece orchestra. Yeah, we don't need that. Band's not going to play live anymore. Just going to bring an orchestra. Yeah, right.
1: Well, as you very well know, I'm not going to name names, but very many bands do that, and they even have extra hidden musicians underneath the stage or in the back. As a matter of fact, Grand Funk carried around what was his name, Chris Frost? Greg Frost. Craig Frost. They carried around for years before anybody knew there was an organist. <laughs> and he finally has said, well shit, as long as you've been playing with us, it means we'll be on the album cover and get credit for it as well.
0: So
1: <laughs> nice. and, and, and other bands tape their stuff, pre-tape and play it.
2: No, oh, again, uh, I was... Right. No names. That's another thing. I was reading something about, I think, Toto, and they have a singer who stands backstage. A <laughs> singer who's backstage?
1: Yeah, because the singer they have can't hit the high notes. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I wasn't backstage. aware of that. Yeah, that's what I read. Okay, this is backstabbing hour. Listen, guys. <laughs> Getting
2: back to what I asked you before, it, since you're not heavy metal, are the best at what you do?
1: I think we, uh, we were the most sincere and... We do it to the best of our capability. <laughs> that came out great, uh, and we're not lazy. We enjoy it. We mean what we do. We mean what we say, and we're on the level. And we do it ten months a year, and the other two months we spend in the studio and rehearsing and writing and making the next album, so we can do it all over again. <laughs> it's one big vacation land.
2: Do you think your audiences will grow with the band that the, if you go, you know, another three, four years, will the same crowd still be? Okay, I, I
1: don't have a crystal ball, but I think judging by how much the audience has increased over the last two, three years, as you just mentioned, from playing 2,000-seater to 10,000-seater, I think, yeah. Um, our music is, I hate to use the word, readily accessible, but it is. You know, you listen to it, and it makes you feel good. And there's an old saying, if it sounds good, it is good. Duke Ellington said that. And that's the truth. Now he knew what he was talking about. Um, Because I did go to college for a little bit for, um, for music, and they told me I was a musical prostitute because I was writing songs with no more than three or four chords. And I said, listen, It's harder to write a melody for a song with three or four chords than it is to sit there and modulate and sit there and change keys and meter and beat, you know, and all this jazz to get some kind of song across, which nobody can make sense out of. Not even the guys who are playing it or writing it. They don't even know. They don't understand. So I left. It's interesting that you talk about
2: you've had musical training, you've studied classical piano. I think that the majority of the things I read about the band, you would think that you guys just picked up guitars and, and started to play one day, you know,
1: and found you could make melodies that people enjoyed. But, well, it may just as well have been because I'll tell you, a lot of that training I had absolutely no, have no application. It was, it's nice to know, but what good is it if you know that uh, the key of F has one flat? Okay. <laughs> what difference does it make?
2: Yeah. What about their the reviews?
1: Do you read them? Do you care about them? They're obviously it not affecting your No. Um, generally, we're we're in the next town by the time the review comes out. Uh, I think some of the, some of the reviewers, some of the critics, are good at what they do, and they should be commended. I mean, they know their profession and they do it well. Others, I think, are like um, a virgin trying to describe the pleasures of sex. I mean, yeah, they don't understand. They don't know. But uh, in the long run, I don't think it matters because um, just like you read album reviews, which are sometimes so drastically opposite. I mean, it makes you wonder who knows who actually knows what the hell he's talking about. I mean, one guy says it stinks, and the other completely opposite. Possibly even on the next page of the same magazine will say. My God, this is fantastic! I mean, Messiah. <laughs> I mean, so it's just wonders. I think it's just a matter of personal taste.
2: It's interesting because um, Dave Marsh wrote a piece on Ted Nugent recently, and wrote a bit about about Van Halen and said how great Nugent was, but how he couldn't stand Van Halen, how terrible they, what they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what i wonder. you know, you read that after a while and you start going, hey, this yeah. is... So-
1: well, I think as long as they don't they don't pull any punches on it, it's, it's all right. They, I don't care what they say. Mm-hmm. But if he uh, does it in a slanderous way or has nothing to back it up with, then I think that the guy's off the wall.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, obviously, the, the thing... I mean, you can take this and stick it up in your nose, Dave Marsh. <laughs>
2: The, the thing is, you know, I read a lot of criticism and I tell people, get really upset about it. Hey, it's just my opinion. Yeah, You don't have to agree with right. it. You don't have to not buy the album. I tell you what right. I don't like.
1: So. Well, I, I just, uh, I, I'm not in defense of it, but um, Ed won the, uh, this year's guitar player poll as the best rock guitarist. He beat out Jimmy Page, uh, Jeff Beck, Ted Nugent. No, I don't think he's even run a runner-up. Well, maybe he was. But, uh, and that's a, a more artist-oriented uh, magazine. You know, more guitarists, people who actually play the instrument by that magazine, and they're the ones who vote as opposed to people like Dave Marsh, who know nothing about guitars, probably. <laughs> How many strings does a guitar have?
2: <laughs> How do you get along with your brother? Your got oh, fine.
1: You know, we have the, the, uh, the obvious. Nobody gets along great all the time. Yeah. We have this, uh, the the rows, the fights, and whatnot. So you
2: always hear about the kinks, you know, and Dave Davies
1: and no, Ray no, Davies, how they try to stab each other. Oh yeah. Well, that happened <laughs> in our younger years, but uh, <laughs> as we grow older, I mean, you know, after all, it is a felonious uh, offense. <laughs> you end up in jail, <laughs> even though he is kin. <laughs>
2: In this article, the the guy who wrote it said uh, just what heavy metal is. And he says, the person who wrote this said, art, it's not. In other words, heavy metal is not art. Is what you do art? I mean, you know, you say it's not heavy metal. Art
1: is like uh, beauty. It's in the eye of the mm-hmm. Uh I don't even know how to start on this one. <laughs> uh, I think it's art in the fact that it's, <clears throat> it's going to last for a while. I mean, it is on vinyl. 20 years from now, people can listen to it and hopefully enjoy it still. If they don't, well, then... I mean, what was the Mona Lisa? Just a painting, you know? Uh, I've seen sculptures in the middle of some of these, uh, these ur- <laughs> some of these the city, city centers. I mean, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, what the hell is that? I saw one that was a gigantic clothespin, and that's all it was. But since the person who put it there was, quote unquote, an artist, it was an object of art. <laughs> so, you know, it just depends. It's just a matter of terminology.
2: Yeah, and, and it's also interesting because I was reading this book. Uh, the gang that couldn't shoot straight and this guy wanted to be an artist so he would wear very thick glasses when he didn't need any glasses
1: and he would walk in with shoelaces untied and, and trip over them. Now, that gets right back to what I was saying before about being honest. I mean, not, not having to put on your suit to, to go out on stage and do something. Um, I've seen guys who, you know, put on makeup, to put on the real tight pants, but they'll feel uncomfortable and look uncomfortable because they are uncomfortable. No, because some people, said, you know, they go, wow, Dave throws his outrageous clothes. Well, he wears stuff like that all the time. That's just Dave, that's him. I'm the slob, you know? <laughs> How
2: do you feel about glitter, like Alice Cooper, Bowie, you know, things like that? How
1: does that relate to what you do? Does it at all? Oh, I, I've seen, I, I like uh, Alice's show, especially mm-hmm. before he started playing golf on the Mike Douglas show. Yeah. <laughs> I think that blew his credibility a bit, and especially now with his new, completely new image. When he was on the Hollywood Square, yeah. he killed it for me. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was one of the better rock shows I saw. Uh, I remember it was in the Hollywood Bowl, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, and a helicopter came in and flew it so low, this thing was deafening. I'm surprised the uh, FAA didn't get down on it. That was pretty dangerous. I think it was out of gas, 20,000 people would have been dead. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I like his show, and I, there are certain things I like about Bowie. We played some of his music. Um, I haven't followed up on him lately. I mean, he changes his, his uh, image character screen. and image, like I changed my underwear. <laughs> of course, for him, it's become standard, it's norm. He's not doing, he does it, I mean, almost every year he comes out with something different. So you, you come to expect it of him. And in that sense, being different is being sane.
2: Do you find that since you've become a very, very popular band, probably one of the most popular around now, that you've lost some contact with your audience?
1: No, that's not true at all.
2: I'm um, I was I was some, some, somewhat surprised that you were available to do an interview right. like that.
1: And Yeah, well, we haven't lost contact at all. Um, a lot of bands go out and they'll play, they'll say they play, or they will play small clubs. Now to me, that seems like losing contact. They, they say that they like to be intimate with the people. Well, I don't think it's very intimate if say Van Halen was to go into a, a town like Boston and play a 500 seat hall when 10,000 people want to see you. That means 9,500 of them don't get to see you. You know, which disappoints them. And it's just a pain in the ass for everybody. You know, there's going to be a riot at the club and you need to change the name. People are bound to find out. I mean, it's garbage, just playing the clubs. And I don't see any reason why you can't be close to people, 10,000 people, 20,000, whatever. They're all there.
2: What's something that you've always wanted to talk about in the press that no one's asked? Your love life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really think of anything. I'll talk about anything. Tell me about your love life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll tell you what, he you follows back to the hotel after the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what kind of things can, can we expect from Van Halen in the future?
1: Um, okay, Van Halen just takes it. One day at a time. <laughs> I hate to use that word. It's like a, like a movie. <laughs> uh, we take it as it comes. We don't plan. We, we write all the time. And we have one of the greatest uh, outside influences, which is Ted Temple. Because when we get off tour, which will be in December sometime, I think, we're we'll going to the basement where we rehearse. And we'll play all the songs that we've written over the last year. And Ted will listen. And his first impression of the songs that he hears, which are good, we'll usually be the ones that end up on the album. The last album was done maybe out of 50 songs. Uh, you know, we might do something quasi-religious next year. But, uh, who knows? We didn't know that we were gonna add little keyboards in this album until we actually sat down in the basement and just Ed started playing it a little bit and there it was. And the great little rock. First take, so we put it on the album for a song. But I'll tell you, Ted's a great guy. Uh, when we get together in the studio, he's like a fifth member of the band. Uh, we all throw ideas around. And uh, Ted just tries to make some sense out of it. <laughs> Somebody has to be sane in there. <laughs> How long is this tour going to last? It? about December, I think. It'll be a total of about cool. ten months. Uh, in that course, we just came back from Europe. It's good to be back in the States. Thank God.
2: <laughs> what do you miss most when you go? Good food. Yeah, you miss the food. Like, yeah, you you miss the food.
1: It. yeah, it's true. It really makes me makes me laugh when uh, we come back and a friend of mine will walk up and say, oh my God, isn't this marvelous? I'm gonna spend three weeks in England. <laughs> All right, you <laughs> know that's a mess. I don't mean to knock the people, it's just, it's just one of those things. You know, The food is not very good, the weather is, is absolutely unbearable. It's always raining, always muggy. Uh, the audiences are great, they love rock and roll, they love to get into it. Uh, and the proof of that is because 90% of the bands are on, on the radio are English. <laughs> Um, As for the rest of Europe, you know, Holland is my home country, so it's nice to go back there once in a while. we just finished playing the uh, largest festival they ever had there, a place called Pink 50,000 Dutch people there, and that was good, but it's it's really nice to be back in the States. there's no way to describe it. <laughs> December,
2: January, and February, recording another album and then right. back on the road again. Yeah. The last
1: album we recorded took 10 days. And then, of course, the mandatory mixing and remixing. But uh, the actual recording process takes very few days. So I see no problem at all.
2: How long have you been on the road now, I guess?
1: Well, so we February or March, but I don't know what month this is. This is uh, July. Okay, so I don't know how many months is that? Does it bother you? Do you get tired? Or? No, you get used to it. Um, as a matter of fact, even before the record, before the touring, we were all doing the same thing, only on a smaller scale. Uh, we would play five 45 minute sets a night in the club, five, six days a week. And it would all be uh, a rather long traveling distance, you know, two, three hours which is your average
0: playing
1: with from city to city anyway. And uh, now all we need to play about 100 minutes. We used to play five hours. No slow
0: songs. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember, you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.